Everybody and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast, volume 10, issue 492, and we're covering Condemned Criminal Origins. Joining me on this spooky show, we have Darren Gargett. Hello. That was spooky. Uh, Carl Moon. Hey, everyone. And John Salmon. Hello. Hello. And of course, I'm your host, Tony Atkins. Um, so, Condemned Criminal Origins. Uh, a spoiler warning. Not that I say there's a particularly deep story, but if you are concerned about spoilers, we will be talking about the story uh, and what happens to Ethan Thomas throughout it. So, stop now and come back once you've played it, if that's something that you're concerned about. So, moving on to some of the, you know, just the bits we like to cover if you don't know who quite made the game or who published it. So, the developer was Monolith Productions, uh, who were famous for, I guess, prior to this game, No One Lives Forever. Uh, they, the Fear games between 2009 and two, uh, between 2005 and 2009. In fact, I think Fear was the, the game directly after they made Condemned. Uh, and more recently, the Middle Earth, Shadow of War and Shadow of Mordor. There's some anomalies in that as well, like they made The Matrix online, I was reading. If anyone remembers that, I played that. Mm. Uh, yeah, they, they've got a somewhat <laughs> up and down history, but it's interesting because obviously I think for most modern people they know about really for um, the Lord of the Rings, the last two Lord of the Rings games. But um, yeah, good good studio, good production house. Uh, the publisher was Sega. The writer was Frank Rook, who wrote both con- both of the Condemned games and Tron Two. Uh, but for me, it was interesting that he also directed the Mad Max game that came out uh, a few years back. Which is very good. The composer was Nathan Grigg, who's basically an in-house composer for pretty much most of the Monolith Games catalogue from what I could work out. So, um, yeah, he's been there a long time and continues to be there. The game was released on November the 15th, 2005 as a launch title on the 360 uh, and is now playable via back compat on the Xbox One and series consoles. Our histories with the game. Um, John, I know you didn't buy the 360 on on launch but was this a game you picked up when you picked up your console or is this a game you played more of recent times so my problem with this is because i got a 360 about six months before i signed up for xbox live i've got a whole slew of games that i can't pin down exactly when i played them because they're all completely like normally i'd look at the achievements and see when i was playing this game but because it's all offline there's just no information about it other than that it was in this period between about august 2006 and february 2007 when i only had an offline console so i i would imagine that i bought this fairly early this is the sort of thing that would have appealed to me quite a lot as um similar to a lot of the kind of gritty games i was playing on the original xbox and probably continue to play backwards compatible on the 360 when that came out and the other thing that i imagine would have drawn me to it was i was 
I remember seeing one of those like little game station brochures at one point that had a spread about um, the original Fear game in it, which you said you thought might have come out after this. I'm not sure the exact mm. dates. It must have been pretty close because that had a PC release before it then had a console release the following year. And I remember seeing this thing about Fear and thinking, wow, that looks absolutely fantastic. And if I'd known that that was connected to Condemned, if it's basically the same development team, and I'm sure we'll talk about the fact later on that a lot of the kind of the vibes and even the assets and stuff from those two games seem to have some sort of crossover, then that definitely would have pushed me towards this. So I know that I bought it pretty early on in my 360 owning life. Uh, I know that I played through it, but couldn't tell you whether that was like in an afternoon or over the course of three months. Um, And I've barely been back to it since. I think I played it once more a few months later after I had Xbox Live. And then I played it previous to this recording over the course of about a week, just sort of slowly dipping into it and playing a level or two at a time. Um, It's like shockingly, it's still quite atmospheric when you play it. So I didn't really want to sink too deep and, you know, just blast out the entire thing in one go. But um, I enjoyed playing through it again, like surprisingly for such an old game. So, yeah. Uh, Carl? So I got an Xbox 360 at launch, but this isn't one of the games that I actually picked up. Um, my best friend, however, did um, also get one at launch, and uh, his, you know, his partner is now wife. Um, many years later, went and stockpiled loads of launch games for an incredible thing, and one of those was Condemned. And I wanted to play it based upon what we'd seen in magazines and trailers, albeit at really low resolution. Now, when you actually look back, <laughs> very um, back in the you know the two forty three sixty p day of trailers online. Um, and it, it it looked, you know, for the time, it looked really, really pretty, particularly a level of shadows that we probably hadn't seen on consoles to that degree um, and only saw on PC. And, you know, it, it, the connection to fear is quite obvious if you think about the, the light versus dark and the shadow play. Um, that, that's something that that studio was heavily involved in. And I went round to his house and we played a bunch of the launch games and he decided that Condemned wasn't one that he was going to play a lot at launch. You know, he'd got like PGR, he'd got um, Perfect Dark Zero. <laughs> um, and so I, I borrowed Condemned um, Criminal Origins and, and, and played a whole bunch of that at launch um, and, and got through that game eventually. I'm not entirely sure whether I completed it in that that one early sort of go or if I went back to it at a later date. I didn't actually check, but I know I've got all the achievements in it, so I do have that record there if I want to go and see it. And it was one that I was definitely excited to play because it was actually a slower-paced game, and that kind of excited me because we were in the you know the days of really fast-paced FPS, and we kind of had been since probably the late nineties when you know we had the arena-based shooters of you know Unreal Tournament and stuff, and then you look at something like Perfect Dark Zero, another first-person game that launched alongside it for the Xbox Three Hundred and Sixty, and um, again, that was really fast-paced. So the idea to play something that was a bit more slow-paced, story-first, um, was, was was really exciting for me. So that that's how I ultimately got my hands on it, is um, for completely free, uh, which makes a change for me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was a, a borrowed copy of the game. Uh, Darren? Yeah, so I remember getting my 360 on launch, Milton Keynes, Toys R Us, with Cameo, Perfect Dark Zero. Um, not this, though. I think this came... Like day or two after, I I remember the demo going live and demos being a downloadable, fascinating thing at the mm. time. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, de- demo discs were no longer appealing, so therefore I didn't subscribe to the magazine. So I got the demo, and I thought, you know what, I I I liked Fear on the PC, and um, you know, I didn't know Fear Two was coming, but I ended up liking Fear Two. So I was kind of, I liked what Monolith were doing with their with their atmosphere, like especially the first Fear is so cool for the time, you know, slowing down and just absolutely destroying these um these kind of SWAT soldiers with your with your guns it was wicked man so like yeah the, the new game from them and it was like a very slow paced game in compared to, uh, com- in comparison to fear you know and you just club in these um seamlessly drug users and homeless people it was it was it was, it was completely <laughs> different to what was on launch and you know fair play to sega for putting the money up for it <laughs> and uh, sticking it on a launch lineup because yeah it was completely out of the blue for me and um it was one of those games that i bought round to show off what the 360 was all about because perfect dark zero wasn't doing it because it was like oh god but um, there's something dark and moody that could show off, you know, the HD at the time, you know, that your, your flat screen telly and your and your dark darks and your colourful colours. Like, to me, like when you, you know, when you bang on the old um, the detective stuff and it all goes green and white and then you look in the corner and it's all moody and there's someone lunging up. Hadn't seen much like that before. Sure, there were scary games before this and around this time, but Condemned seemed to plunge new depths with its darkness. And um, yeah, it, it kind of set off a a little trend for me as well, because I really enjoyed this on launch. And, you know, whenever I saw a first-person game that was kind of moody, I was up for it. And, you know, like Chronicles of Riddick and The Darkness and mm. other games sort of along those lines where it had the kind of, you felt the movement of the character's head. Yeah, I don't know what that's called, but yeah, it's, it's very kind of, um very physical in its motion in the first-person. Mm. I was really into that. I think Dark, Dark Messiah... Might and Magic was also one before this that had a similar vibe in that, you know, every time you kicked and you sw- you swung your club or sword or whatever, you felt the, the physicality of it all. So yeah, Condemned was kind of um yeah, it was kind of it's kind of set a new kind of flame in my heart for games that were gonna scare the life out of me and my mates and yeah, I was well up for it. And then I played it through most recently on the PC, which wasn't a tragic nightmare, luckily. Um yeah, and I played it through in what felt like no time at all so yeah, yeah here I am. <laughs> and not having the same jump scares you may have had the first time around yeah for me i picked up uh this game upon launch or you know sh- sh- shortly thereafter when i actually managed to get my hands on the console but for me it was pretty much a, a launch day uh, you know a couple of weeks after the 360 had come out um and i think primarily like i said it's not necessarily a genre that i particularly uh you know play too much of but i you know like any any launch uh, period games are pretty thin on the ground and i was trying to get my hands on pretty much everything so condemned happened to be one of those um i always think um condemned's one of those games that i always you know i have to put it with the 360 because it was it was one of those boxes that kind of stood out and you would see everywhere for year upon year be it in the 50p bin for you know for in game in the second <coughs> second hand been for just multiple years and even even now looking back at that you know the i kind of got the greatest hits version now it's like that cover is so synonymous with the the 360 at that period um i remember being quite terrified by this game (laughs) um back in 2005 um you know i found it very moody very uh i don't know uh viscerous in it in its combat you know it's quite you know a game that kind of stuck with me and actually you know whether we all get around to talking about condemned 2 we will certainly reference condemned 2 in in this show because uh, you know, i know well i've played it and i know john has played it as well um 
And I think that that game went on to do a lot of uh, extra stuff that this game doesn't do. But it's, you know, it, this felt like a real kind of work and title. Um, but it's, yeah, um, it was weird going back and playing Condemned in, in a kind of modern setting. You know, slightly different, you know, mindset coming into it, you know, and, and what I kind of got from it now and, and, you know, where I was back in 2005 really feel, you know, you know literally miles apart. But we'll, we'll get on to that uh, in a bit later. So that's our history. So we're talking a little. I'm going to talk over about just a little bit about the script, um, and give you a for people that haven't played it, just give a really quick kind of rundown of what the story is. So uh, you take on the role of Ethan Thomas, a crime scene investigation agent with the FBI, looking for a serial killer called the Matchmaker. That's a real serial killer name as well, isn't it? Uh, after the opening scene investigating one of the Matchmaker's victims, you find yourself framed for the killing of two officers shot by your gun. Uh, so you set out to prove your innocence with the help of Rosa. Rosa. So set out the help of Rosa, a lab assistant, and Malcolm Van Horn, an old friend of your father's. The catch is you quickly find the matchmaker dead and killed in the same way he's been killing his victims. Over the course of the next six hours, you discover that serial killer X, who enjoys killing other serial killers, is in fact the nephew of Malcolm Van Horn. Malcolm believes that the believes that a creature known as the hate has been causing the psychological madness infecting his nephew his nephew and the inhabitants of the metro city including yourself you fight and kill hate and ultimately get to decide if malcolm's nephew gets to live or die uh, you're cleared uh, you're eventually cleared of those crimes but mentally it's a different story I mean, yes, that's a very cliff, you know, the cliff notes of what um, Condemned is. But as you can tell there, the story isn't the greatest um, yarn told in video game history. In fact, it's a fairly mm. well-worn um, path that it followed. Not to say that it it doesn't do it competently, which I think it, it does. But, um, you know, it, it's nothing mind-blowing. In fact, a lot of the details of uh, of Keck kind of um, kind of back and it, it's a little ambiguous of who this hate is why he's there why that you're suffering from the all these uh, you know psychological breakdowns lots of this stuff is um, covered in Condemned too. so uh, you know either back then or now how did you guys feel about how the story was told the story in it feels like there are weird beats here that I think are written like there's bits that are written and stuff on the loading screens which was probably great uh on the original 360 but now you're playing it backwards compatible on in my case on an, an xbox one x you guys probably played it on a series x mm-hmm. those loading screens are gone in about a second yeah. and a half so you don't get you don't get a chance to read the little bit of whatever it is flavor text or story about why birds are dying everywhere that's that's written into that um i i, I kind of appreciate that for a first person game they do a little bit of the um not not like full on but a little bit that half life thing of like a lot of the the story is is played out with you actually playing in engine there's not like massive amounts of cutscenes and stuff to it i should have played condemned 2 again if that's if that's where they've buried the story here <laughs> which i've kind of forgotten about I'm now a little bit disappointed that I didn't but also th- but play But then that again, we are talking about Condemned. It's like, you know, you are playing Condemned for the first time. You don't know that they're going to... Well, I believe they they envision this to be a three-part series of a of a game, a game series. So, you know, we had parts mm. one and two, um, but three never came. 
So I just found the story in Condemned just to be really by the numbers. And I I never quite know because we talk about many games obviously in the show long before, you know, Condemned time of 2005, you know, and they have brilliant stories or well-written stories. Um, so it's unfair to say, well, this game's in from 2005. So, you know, it's, you know, it's stories kind of like really tropey because, I, yeah, I do believe it could be better. You know, good writing is good writing, many years of good writing. But I think in the context of what they were trying to do within the gameplay um, of Condemned, I think it kind of gets away with it. It just kind of, it's there to kind of move, move the, you know, I guess location to location on. It doesn't, o- it doesn't overstep the mark mm. ever, ever, really. It's just kind of like, it, it, there's some weird performances. And I actually say overall, I found the, the voice acting in it, pretty good you know i've seen a lot worse um in games you know long after this and actually for around the time i think the voice acting came across you know pretty well in fact i think there's only like five people and they and they take the roles of about 10 voice actors lines um so yeah i i don't dislike the story i just think it's really tropey yeah but when i played it then and now it was never the reason why i was there you know like Let's say, for example, Last of Us 1 and 2, like, I'm there for that story and how it's told. And I know that's a completely <laughs> different time and era. But at the same time, Last of Us did come out on the PS3 and, you know, that was a, a similar generation of a console, if not the same generation. And so, you know, the, the guys who made Fear, was I really expecting them to make a cracking story with this one? I mean, or that's not why I was going in for no. it. And I was always going in to go and walk around abandoned shops and warehouses to have a fight and you know that's pretty much literally why i was playing the game to experience the the graphical power of of the 360 you know and uh and the sound like i remember playing need for speed carbon the demo as well and the sound on that just like it had some sort of virtual surround that that and condemned were both offering and it just kind of it was completely fake like, like you knew that it was not your tv wasn't doing anything magical but the way they programmed the sound it was just like god this is amazing mm. and it really was kind of a it's kind of a tech demo, I guess, is what I'm, is the word I'm looking for. So I was never there for the story. Um, although, you know, the way you interact with Rosa on the old uh, intercom or phone, wherever it is, it's, it's, it's really good. Like, I, I, I think that's quite a good way of doing that story, you know, because he's trapped out there and she's trapped over there and they're, they're just chatting on the phone trying to work this thing out. And uh, I thought that was pretty decent. But for my attention span, like, <laughs> it really needs to be, like, top tier. Like, either make me laugh or be or be really really good in your production. Otherwise, I'm just going to switch off. And uh, I think about half of the way through, I was just like, okay, it's just got all a bit too convoluted, and it's not really explaining itself that well. And I'm bored, and so I just carried on <laughs> fighting, and got, you know, I just fought my way to the end. And that happened both times. So I was like, okay, I, I don't remember the hate, I don't remember this, I don't remember that. But ultimately, it doesn't matter for me personally because I wasn't there to um. To it's know actually, about what was it's going quite on. funny because the hate is the final boss of the game, and it's it's strange you you know, he's the final boss of the game because you only get to meet him the level prior to that right at the end of the game, and all of a sudden he's like this is the guy I need to hate. It's like, who who is he? <laughs> like it's just like oh no this is a really important guy you must make sure you kill him. I don't even fine I'll just I'll pull his spine out because that's what it's asking me to do. But that's what yeah. the the QTI but, like who is he? He just seems to be a guy that can take a lot of punishment. Why do I why do I need why is he so important to this story? And I, I guess they 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 explain a lot of that in Condemned too. But actually replaying it now it's like <laughs> it's just quite funny how how they kind of set mm. you up to say you know you should this this is the main bad guy. I mean, we've only just met, but sure. 
this is arguably after like three other serial killers you've been chasing have all kind of come to dead yeah, end. Well, actually, I, I think the, you did all right there with, with that because there, there was a number of times when, well, I assumed we were still chasing the matchmaker because it was like that's the way that the story sets out, and clearly it's not going quite uh, you know as as raw as that, but. You know, when they actually like, you know, the matchmaker turns out to be dead, you're like, okay, well, I thought that was the guy we were chasing. No, it's this other guy, and okay, fine. But it's, um, it, it does okay with its smoke and mirror stories. Hmm. Uh, it makes sense when you describe it as act one of what is at least two acts and was originally supposed to be three. It makes more sense to leave, un, uh, you know, things unknown and leave some intrigue behind it. And, you know, hopefully they'll get followed up later on. But yeah, as, as like a completely singular experience, it's uh, not entirely satisfying. Do you remember much about the story, Carl, back from your, your playthrough? I don't think the story's awful. I think there was the potential for it to be a lot better than it was. Uh, it that That's kind of where it frustrated me. And yes, the sequel comes and adds in on that. But as as far as the first go, first game and the, and the first go through it, I remember being... A little underwhelmed, not because it was bad, but because it had the potential to be so much better than it was. Um, you know, John's already mentioned there the similarities to something like Dexter, and that you know that that's quite cool. And you look at how you know big and how cult Dexter was, um, to the point that you know it's going back. So um, I always felt like there was the opportunity for Condemned to be a far bigger series than it was. It was nice to get a sequel, but it you know it, it's never really run with it. So yeah, it was a I was a little bit. I was whelmed. I wasn't necessarily <laughs> underwhelmed. I wasn't overwhelmed. I was just whelmed. It does suffer a little bit from gamification in in the idea yeah. of you know terrible things happen and your response is fairly indifferent to the events that you're caught up in. Like the voice acting, I, I actually think is is perfectly fine. Um, nothing's delivered like you know in a you know ridiculous overtones. Like it's actually it it does feel like it's something like from a CSI um, program at the time. But there is like I remember there's this moment that you open um, a cabinet and it's, you've got you've got one like a, one of the guys <laughs> and he's complete like his mm. face is completely skinned <laughs> like yeah. he's just skin and bones and it's a relatively decent jump scare to be fair but um you're just like you're having a conversation like you've just met him for a cup of coffee <laughs> and it's just like like. Did no one actually tell that the when they were doing the read what this scene was? It was just like just read these lines out; that would be fine. It's just like okay, yeah. <laughs> um, so it does suffer a little bit, uh, like you know, it's, you know, maybe one tone or kind of reading the lines out, not necessarily knowing the exact context <laughs> that they've been reading them out. But yeah, overall, I you know, I, I have to say this. I mean, this will be taken. This little snippet is taken directly from Wikipedia, so because it's just a, an interesting piece of of knowledge about where Condemned was during, uh, I guess, the the phase of being put in production. And uh, it reads like, Condemned Criminal Origins was originally known as The Dark, quite far into the production. Under this name, the game was largely similar but different in several key areas. The player character was known as Agent Cross. That is such a, <laughs> a, a cop's name. Um, and the game appeared to follow him on a government-sanctioned investigation rather than acting as a rogue on the run from the law. Although Cross possessed the supernatural leanings of Thomas from the final game, he could actually use his various mag- uh, various for magical spells. For example, a spell could be uttered to pull a gun from the enemy's hands. Another spell saw doors and other obstacles break in front of the player, seemingly negating the need for the fire axe in the main game. So yeah, I, 
I mean, I can't, I just can't see Condemned as like a, almost like a magical, uh, oh, mm. it would be a very different game. I'm glad that they probably didn't go down that path because I feel that is a path that is, you know, if you really gamification at that point. Um, mm. But yeah, just to, so it, you can, you can almost feel like some of those original ideas still kind of trapped in some of the, the elements of the, of Condemned with its kind of supernatural leanings. But then again, I look at Monolith Productions and, if you think about fear the, the game directly around that time like that's heavy heavy into its supernatural um leaning yeah. so you know and it's nowhere near as you know as, as far deep as that so actually this feels quite restrained if you compare those two games but it's clearly something well, think- that the company likes to um you know engage with They've definitely gone through phases but i think the, another thing that that adds up is i was very much aware that this was the studio behind the quite frankly, still brilliant, no one lives forever um, title. And then you look at what they've gone on to since. Uh, they've done the Mordor games. I think we've covered the first one on, on the podcast. Um, and you know, they've had the connections to those games, I should say. And they're very large-scale open-world titles that deliver a really strong narrative, which is very difficult. Now, Condemned even more so than fear, is phenomenally linear um, in, in its structure. It's a 2005 and, launch game, though, so, you know. But, yeah, but I mean, if you look at the games that influenced this beforehand, System Shock 2 was a massive influence on it, another game we've covered on the podcast, which is an absolute classic um, and an incredibly influential non-linear game. So, you know, it, it regardless of the year, it was linear. Mm, there's there's been open world or, or better structured games um, maybe it was impacted by being a launch title or, you know, new hardware. The 360 was, you know, famously quite easy to work on, so I'm not entirely sure that, that would be a problem. It was also on PC, so it it just felt like... And I don't have a problem with linear games. I actually really like them um, in, in many cases because it allows it to, to deliver a more structured, rounded story at its own pace. And yet, despite having everything in its court to be able to deliver that, the game never really does it. And years later, we, we we tread on the topics of environmental storytelling as a huge part of games. And Condemned does a relatively decent job of that. There's the mission later on when you're tracking the text across the walls with the blacklight, which, you know, for me, that was probably the highlight of the whole game. I thought that that was really, really interesting for, for the time and the era. But that was the only time I felt like I was really engulfed by what the game was really trying to tell me. Um, and and for a slow-paced linear game, it was actually those um, closed corner, closed quarter moments of uh, inertia-based combat is is where that game really shone. And, and its story in that in you know you're fighting these people, and there's obviously a reason, and it was really tense in those moments. Um, and and that helped prop that game up. Uh, it's just a frustration that. Everything being in its cart to be able to deliver something was was just a, a little bit missed for me. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, talking about combat, let's let's move away from the story. I, I think you know the story is what it is. That's a cop out saying if mm. there ever was one, but you know I don't think it's terrible, even from a kind of you know a modern twenty twenty one playthrough standard. Yeah. Um, could it have been better for sure? Um, but sometimes you know less is more, and I actually feel like. Um, what would they call it? Like, what would this genre of game be 
what is it called? Because now I feel like it's like like horror chase genre, but there is something more than that, isn't it? What I mean, what is Outlast? Is it? It's the hunt. It's this is not Outlast though. This is a first person shooter with more focus on yeah, melee true, weapons than guns. Although there are plenty of guns. Darren probably got it closest when he compared it to Chronicles of Riddick. Yeah. That was that seemed to be that that. For me, that was the core influence. When I played that, it was the first game I thought. It had that level of combat. It did have guns. It had that story of, of characters, you know, talking, having that level of interaction, the the play on light and dark. Um, but, you know, Chronicles of Riddick, which we've also covered on the podcast. My goodness, we have covered a lot of games <laughs> that we are discussing in relation Happens. to this one. Um, and given that Riddick had already happened and had actually done a really sublime job on, you know, lesser hardware... It it did show up the areas where this game was weak. However, that close combat is definitely where it was strong. And it was quite smart, really, because it played a different game to the other games in that genre. You know, I mentioned it was a slower-based game compared to uh, maybe its peers at the time. And, you know, d- different kinds of weapons and guns. And, the, the, you know, there's a lot of weapons in this game. There's actually quite a fair, fair few guns, but um, it's I, it really does shine in that close quarter yeah. combat that that is the actual core element of that the the feeling and the impact on the player of it's it's the video game equivalent isn't it a fight or flight you know it's it's not you know john's right it's not outlast outlast is flight you don't like that's it you're more about the surviving and getting away and, and the structure and something like that in condemned you're you're a bigger weapon than the people that you're fighting so you you've always got that room to be able to fight, but you may have to choose your approach. Whether you know I, it, whether there's a little bit of stealth or a little bit more uh, blunt force, you pick the kind of weapon that you're comfortable with in that style. And and you know there's some really interesting ways of which I mean the combat is actually relatively in depth yeah, for the time so that it was. You know you, you impact your swings and stuff. So that was really cool. Yeah. So I think when it, when it comes to kind of the outlast reference, I think what I'm more getting to is a slightly more kind of lesser kind of you know it you could say okay this is a first person yes there is guns it's not definitely not a first person shooter but you know it's a first person brawler but then again that there is definitely that horror element of um feeling like you're not necessarily being stalked by a single entity but you are being it feels like at times you are being stalked by the individuals around in the area certainly on the hard i mean on on the easy i mean i was messing around with the difficulties just to see how they kind of uh, ramped up and ramped back down and and on easy you can take a fairly decent beating before finding yourself in trouble on the hard difficulty it's you know one or two solid hits from an enemy and you and you go down and certainly if if you find somebody with a gun it's it's not quite one shot kill but it, it's it's close as close to it as, as possible so it feels like you know that that more kind of stalking around the environment and once you hear somebody you know, are you in the right position you know is it dark corner where are they and i, I you know that's although that's not being hunted it, it feels like there there is a little bit of give and take it's not just go around shoot everybody be done with it it is you know more of a kind of like slower paced and that, and i think you know condemned won't be remembered for its story the thing that you know when i whenever i thought about condemned it was for that kind of melee combat and i am trying to remember games ar- around that time before or just around it that that featured that kind of 
first person melee combat. And I, and I remember there was a few that was it breakdown. Remember that, breakdown, remember that game? Yeah, 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 but that was mm-hmm. it almost gave you nausea trying to play that. The cameras uh, camera yeah, was, was slightly wrong. Like it was everything would be a you know rough and tumble. Strangely, um, I'm coming. I come and play Condemned on the back of playing Metro Exodus, which was another game that was like very heavy about using. Although that absolutely is a first-person shooter, it's it's very heavy on simulating. You know, same walk. You know, moving down a ladder or climbing up a wall. You know, having that kind of feeling like you are embodied within the uh, the avatar on a screen rather than just you know moving a gun around the screen. And actually, coming back to this, it felt like, oh, yeah, you can see those kind of those infancy steps towards kind of like a really nice refined version of that, you know, many years later. But yeah, I mean, obviously, Breakdown is the obvious one. But can you think of any kind of, you know, brawlers, first person brawlers around that time? And I know they're not all horror, but they're, you know, some of them were kind of a bit more. Mm. I mean, there probably is a couple to be gleaned from, but Condemned really kind of stood out. On its own mm-hmm. at the time, it was like, oh, okay, cool. Like, this is really oppressive, you know. You, you feel vulnerable at every corner for the time. And, yeah, there was nothing really quite like it. Like I said, Riddick was kind of close, but that wasn't, that wasn't like, a horror game as such. That was definitely more stealth. And that Riddick was before this, wasn't um, it? Sorry? Yeah. Riddick, yeah, it was on the original Xbox, yeah. I, I, my memory completely forgot that it was, actually. And uh, thinking about it, yeah, it definitely was before this. But, um. But in terms of actual like gameplay, it's a two different experiences. Like between launch and today, it's just like when I played it on the 360 at the first, for the first time, I was fully immersed in all the environments that you know because the the way the game looked, you you completely kind of got pulled in by everything that was going on. But now it's it feels completely different. Like we've seen games evolve so much that I can just. I can kind of predict <laughs> yeah. what they're going to do. Like when you see one of the um, the homeless guys run away and they just hide behind a pillar and you're like, well, I know you're mm. there. I-, I saw you run behind. It's like playing hide and seek with a, with a with Ivy. <laughs> you know what I mean? I know she's behind the sofa. It's not, come on. I mean, let's not pretend that I'm scared that there's a man <laughs> behind there with a, with a bit of plastic. Do you know what I mean? It's like, oh, okay. I'm going to run around there and smack you around the chops and you're going to go on your knees and I'll snap your neck. Yeah. Like it's a completely different experience playing it now because I feel like, Resident Evil 7 has completely destroyed first-person horror games before this. Like, that game absolutely tore me to pieces when I first played it, especially the the first kind of half. And um, going back to Condemned, I was just like, this just feels like I'm it, just walking around like a toy. toy it, it is funny because I, I jumped back and I was I was listening to some or watching some reviews back from its original launch or actually reading some of the text. And, you know, people were talking, you know, I know it's kind of like played for for last, but you know people were talking about hiding behind sofas and you know being having to to stop um, and physically take a break from the game because they were so scared. Um, you know, playing it sixteen years later, like I just I just didn't have that experience, and I remember having vaguely that experience mm. playing it first time round. But but now, like you say, there's a lot of stuff that has just gone on. You know, a lot of water, a lot of gameplay underneath the bridge where. You know, I will keep coming back to something like Outlast where it's just terrifying, like or Amnesia or any of those games where you really are mm. petrified about moving forward with a blinking torch rather than just like, well, I may or may get hit by a, a, a you know, a, a homeless guy coming up in the next kind of two or three minutes. But that, that scare just isn't isn't quite as intense as it was back in 2005. Um, yeah, I definitely felt the the same situation where I remember playing this and there were a couple of bits that stuck out in my head as being like, oh, that was actually pretty scary. 
and I'm sure that we'll um, we'll come to them in due course. But uh, one of them is the the scene in the department store where <laughs> you kind of spin around and there's these mannequins that have moved behind you, and that got to me in like 2006. Like, that made me jump, uh, but in a way that today it did not get me in the slightest. Partly because I remembered that scare happening and the the other one that's exactly the same as the guy who's stuffed into the locker that obviously you have to zoom in on him <laughs> with the camera and then as you're like yeah. super zoomed in he wakes up and shouts or something uh, and but both of those things now uh, after 16 years of the genre kind of expanding in the way that it has seemed so unbelievably tame um compared to mm-hmm. like the dread feeling of actually running from enemies and being hunted by things like you really feel extremely um, strong and kind of powerful and tanky and condemned. Yeah. And you've got all these um, all these different things at your disposal to pretty much put you on a massive advantage from any of the enemies that you're fighting. Um, and to, to the point where once you kind of fall into the rhythm of the combat, where you realize that all you really need to do is find one of the weapons that does a reasonable amount of damage try to get the enemies to come at you one at a time, taser one of them, then get a couple of good whacks in. And by that point, they'll have, you either take their weapon away while they're being tased or you've killed them already. Mm. And then it's a case of, you know, if the other one is coming at you at the same time, kind of back away for a few seconds until, until your taser recharges and, and like rinse and repeat. And you realize that pretty early. And then about two-thirds of the way through the game, they're like, have a super taser that's going to do way more damage to the enemies. I have a rant about the taser. (laughs) The the taser completely breaks this game. I mean, I suppose you have the option to not use a taser, as any of these things, like you have an option to not use anything in games. But, yeah, for for a game so focused on, you know, that melee, that visceral kind of melee one-on-one combat, that kind of like, oh, really getting in there and feeling those those punches coming across. And it, and it, even in you know, 16 years later, it does a really good job of, of selling, you know, someone being hit over the head with a shovel. Like, like yeah, that that really felt like, you know, they go, they go down on the floor and you can, they're holding their face and you're like, wow, you know, I, I hit that man with a shovel. That really hurt. And, you know, from ever, all the different... I mean, for people that don't know, it it does a really... <laughs> for people who've never been no, hit by a No, no, but, but for people, like, <laughs> Condemned does a really good job of, of kind of selling... You know, weapons are in this game, but they are in very short supply. In fact, they're normally kind of hidden away in different areas. You have to do a bit of exploring to find them. And when you do find them, they normally, you know, have whatever ammo they have in the clip. So if you come across mm. somebody and he's fired... You know, three of his six bullets. When you pick up that gun, it's still got three bullet, three of the six bullets in that gun. So you can find yourself like, if you really want that weapon, having to kind of stalk somebody and and try to get them down. So you, because because when you do have those guns, you know they are they're extremely powerful, as you might imagine in real life a gun might be. But for the majority of the game, you will be using melee weapons, be it a shovel as an example, but also you know an axe or a you know. They're just they're the kind of the, the weapons that you just find on the ground. But if you don't have those, you can find brilliant amount of environmental weapons. So you can be walking the past and just go, I'm going to take this pipe off the wall and just rip it with steam comes mm. out. Like that now is a, a melee weapon or a lump of concrete on a pipe. That's that's cool. Or you know a mannequin's leg. <laughs> yeah, I really like the environmental pickups because. Mm-hmm. 
you know, video games before this, it was always kind of like a spinning weapon on the, like Grand Theft Auto, for example. If there was a pipe on the floor, it wouldn't be lying on the floor. It would be spinning around, glowing, saying, pick me up. Whereas in Condemned, you know, in a Just different like, generation yes. of consoles, it was like, no, this is actually on the wall that looks like it's kind of, it was once powering the building. Mm-hmm. And I can just rip it out and use it as a weapon, like the way they kind of embedded it into the, you know, the, the general ambience of the um of the of the levels. Really environmental storytelling, it works well. Yeah, you know, it's just yeah, it was smart. Yeah. It's it's really smart. Yeah, and, and that works great because they're all available to the enemies as mm-hmm. well. Like a lot of the times when you meet an enemy, they're just kind of rummaging around. I don't know what the heck they're doing, just sort of creeping around in the darkness somewhere, and they see you. And you'll see them just make a beeline <laughs> for a wall and like rip a rip a piece of um, Four whatever it is, out. like a yeah. train the train line uh, like board off the wall and come at you. And that's really cool. That then because the way they do that, it sort of limits your own options as well. If you're not, I mean, you should probably be walking around with a weapon in your hands at all time. But when you see the guy sort of book it towards the wall and rip out the steam pipe, you're like. Damn, that steam pipe might have been stronger than the thing yes, that I've currently like, got. I'm, and I'm now, outgunned. Now he's going to wail yeah. on me That's, with it. One of my favourite moments is like, say, uh, you referenced it there when a guy suddenly comes out with you with like a locker door, and you're like, I don't <laughs> see I, you could rip locker so doors ridiculous. off. Like, sweet. And it's like you do the same thing and then just whack like, the same guy with the same locker door over his head. It's like, but mm. to my point, like that, that, that still feels, you know, quite visceral in today in today's gaming like you know i'm sure now there'd be a lot more blood and you know you could kind of sell it a bit more but it, it still feels good they just i think what what this feels like is when a uh, a publisher like sega they go that's all well and good but what about little johnny <laughs> he shouldn't be playing this game it's rated 18 but what about little johnny like that's probably a bit hard so Let's give a weapon where you know maybe we can like just put the the more power into into the uh, you know the the player's hands and and that that weapon be the taser where you start mm-hmm. off you taser them and it just stuns them so basically it stuns locks them and so you can walk up you can take their weapon and then that fight continues but it gives you that time to to think yeah no okay I, that, that, this is how I'm going to yeah, interact with with this confrontation yeah I mean absolutely it, it's a it's a probably I don't want to say a vital weapon, but it's definitely a crutch that oh, you can crutch, lean on yeah. to get through the game. Um, and the game that probably ran with that concept most after this was Bioshock, right? With the you know the one-two punch with the mm-hmm. you know the ele- electricity and the and the wrench. And there are actually quite a lot of similarities between where Condemned got to and where Bioshock took it, including a mannequin scene for John. <laughs> so um, that you know it's definitely there, but. The game was seen as incredibly violent at launch. You know, that was a lot of what we were hearing. And, and you look at it now and it's still it, it's still violent if you're classing smacking people around the head with like a pipe. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I always do this marker now, like, would I play it in front of the kids? Well, even 16 years later, no, I wouldn't play this game in front of the kids. Yeah, exactly. And it... it but many times we've had games that have done stuff like that. I mean, I always think back to something like Kingpin, right, which was, what, 1997, 1998 off the top of my head, <laughs> yeah. where you used to be able to blow yeah. limbs off people, and then you had Soldier of Fortune, Soldier of which, Fortune, you know, yeah. took that even further. And, <laughs> you know, and there's not really a whole lot of depth to those elements. They don't feel grounded, elements. though, it's do they? That can... the, I think that's the difference, is they feel almost like, I don't know, just cartoony toys. 
Uh, I well, thought yeah. Soldier of Fortune, I felt like was a bit more serious than Kingpin. Kingpin felt like a bit of a cartoon, but Soldier of Fortune... It was the language time. more so in Kingpin, yeah, wasn't it, it was, that yeah. made that really adult, uh-huh. you know? And then, you know, Soldier of Fortune, it had the limbs being blown off, and it was almost, you know, it was it was violent, undoubtedly far, yeah. violent, but it was, it was a little bit comical, but, it, you know, it's, again, you wouldn't really play it in front of kids, would you? <laughs> no. And... But but those elements in those games were almost tick box exercises, right? Yeah, language is really coarse in Kingpin, right? So you know that that's our thing. And, and Soldier of Fortune, yeah, oh, yeah, limbs get blown off, but it doesn't really add anything to the gameplay. This had its thing because of the real blunt force trauma attitude of the you know the of the combat, which was you know really. It wasn't lightning quick. You really had to swing into it. There was the mm. impact. There was the inertia of you moving. There was the the impact mm. on the enemy. And and the game did a really good job of being able to gauge a distance of of melee, which is incredibly difficult in melee combat. I mean, I play a lot of something like Apex Legends, and the melee in that is absolutely yeah. garbage in, in yeah, comparison. They still to have trouble today trying to get get that. Yeah, right. exactly. And, and and the fact that this game had that as its core element. That was they did that really well, but even more so than that, it's the fact that you had the element if you strafed right, you'd do like a, a sideways you know, a big swing left, yeah. and, you know, and, and vice versa. If you were running forwards, you had the momentum of a forward slam kind of thing. You had the you know the the whole block and and you know and parry attack and you know and, and and obviously block and parry attacks have become incredibly mm. popular in games again with you know likes of here's your clacks and everyone Dark Souls um, and. You know, that that's obviously a big part of gaming now, but Condemn did all that as its core package. Mm. And yes, that's where the violence was. Yes, that's where the checkbox was that, that had it as this incredibly violent experience to play. But actually, that the core mechanic was intrinsic to the whole feeling of that game and, and actually a really solid and robust in doing so, to the point that it's actually better than many games now but, when it comes to that melee combat. And it's, you know, it is big, it's solid, it's chunky, it's... You know, you've got the shadows moving around. It is atmospheric in that combat, and it's more importantly, it's very easy to get overwhelmed by people running at you on on screen, and that's really good because that that really does add um, a layer of complexity to that to what is generally quite a simplistic thing in games. Right, melee is the most simple kind of combat that you get in games. It's usually a punch or a kick, or you know, and the, I mean, let's. Less about the kicking because it's pretty comical how high his foot goes on you. Um, and how fast you know, it, it shoots out. How, the how melee hard is normally the most like basic. So, so for people that don't know, you do have a, a kick. What well, is it? Push down. You get the kick button. For one, your foot looks like it comes out your chest. <laughs> like just directly right in the middle of you, which is odd. And yeah, it's like a, a powerful kind of what? It's like you feel like you're doing some sort of karate kick, which is really against the what feels like the law of the the world you're in. But it's quite yeah. funny. Back to my original point about the taser being then that weapon that just it feels like it's the kind of trip away kind of crux that they they lean on. It's like well, like. By that point, I mean, modern day standards, the taser wouldn't be in this game. Like if this was because because of the way that time has passed with Condemned, if this feels almost like an indie project, which just shows you how much indie projects have have come up in quality over the years. But this feels like, you know, quite a small team putting out something like this, the way just by the way that, you know, visually it looks and, and how it plays. And I think, you know, the taser just feels like, you know, an indie project would not include this taser because... The taser is super powerful, but halfway through the game, as John mentioned, 
they they give you a super teaser, <laughs> a teaser yeah, that is actually like it. It's not a one hit kill because it brings people down to their knees. And there is a mechanic in this game where you can do, I guess, like a glory kill, isn't it? So you can kick them, you can smash their head in, you can use, you know, you know, just you can. It's that way of being that little bit extra violent at the very at the end of being violent. But basically, it puts anybody into these these um, these stun locks that you can kill them pretty much with one hit kill. But what's really odd about that is, fair, fair enough, have the taser, but limit its use. I don't know, maybe give it some yeah, ammo, find it. something in the environment, like recharge it off one of the conduits that you've just pulled from anything. Nope, they it's got a six second reload time. <laughs> six. Yeah, if I was in uh, Metro seconds. Exodus, for example, you'd have to wind it up yourself to use yeah, it. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like in this game, they were just like, yeah, you get a taser and you get a taser. Yeah. It's like, no, actually, how about we have like two charges per level? He can dock it in. At if a you really need it, this is get you out of the yeah, yeah. get you out of trouble. That's it. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, a six second recharge time, so you can find yourself going around the the you know in these harder areas, just like tasering people, running away, killing them, running away, tasering people, killing. Them. <laughs> I mean, you don't have to interact with that style of game, but it, it's there and it's very hard then just to ignore it. Yeah, and the way that the enemy AI in this plays, where they do this really odd thing where they'll come at you, but then they sort of, if you back up, they lose their bottle and turn around <laughs> and run away and go and hide behind a pillar or something. So even if you get like a group of people coming for you, and realistically the maximum like you're going to get in four. here, they might have a few people mm. at a time. Yeah. In some, and that's in some of the bigger areas where they're spread out in amongst lots of bits of geometry. But it's not difficult for you to tase somebody, quickly finish them off, and then backpedal mm. a little bit. And the guy who's just runs screaming at you with a, a desk, at top of a desk from a school thing, will kind of jump at you, shout, and then when you run away, he then turns around and runs off as well. It's like, oh great, I'll tase <laughs> you in the back, or he goes and hides behind a pillar with like an entire leg and arm of his body sticking out and you can just tase him in the leg yeah. and but then run I... in. Like, it's so bizarrely overpowered that they've they added it in. And even you said something about it's not a one hit kill. It is on the like the little skinny guys who pop out quite frequently towards the end of the game. Like they start off early, but I think you see them in the third or fourth level. And they're their kind of mechanic is you often get two or three of them at a time and they, they all sort of scream and rush you. I think they're more supposed to be um, like a, a more kind of hunting you enemy, but they definitely go down in one hit with the super taser, at least on whatever difficulty I was playing it on. So that just completely negates them. I have to say, I, I do, although the enemy AI isn't, you know, anything groundbreaking, it's, you know, and you think about something like Fear, where that was like celebrated for its enemy AI at the time. Mm. Like it's it's nothing like that. But, the AI do a, a decent enough job of, of, you know, you beating somebody up. You know, they do occasionally just completely bum rush you, in which case that's kind of it's appropriate here because they are bums and they do rush you. So they do bum rush you and you do knock them down and occasionally that is just a line of fault. But actually, you know, although it is comical, them kind of hiding behind the pillar, it does it does sell that kind of, okay, they're not just, you know, there is point A to point B, you must now attack. And I do, I do really, really, really appreciate the fact that they can hurt each other, and it's oh, and that's it's great. Comical. Enemy in fighting is Every fantastic, time. and they will actually like one will swipe randomly and hit another one, and then they'll just both go at each other. They'll like get yeah, angry no, it's with each brilliant. other. Brilliant! It's, it's full on doom in fighting. Yeah, the guy just. Mm. 
There is some nice touches. There, the guy comes to swing the, the, you know, like a door at you, and he just he clouts his guy around the back of the head. He just looks around and goes, "Oh yeah, you want some?" <laughs> you just stood there like this was going to be a quite a difficult fight, but actually, I'll just let you two fight it out, and I'll take you down next. So, the other thing I I do really like is the sound design in Condemned, and. I think um, it's it's a definitely a case of you know less is more. I feel like many a game would really foreshadow yeah you know, some of these attacks coming in. You'd walk around the corner, you hear the kind of the the stinger kick off, and you know that you know you're almost aware that you're going to be attacked before you're even attacked. And this doesn't quite do that. It, what it what it um, relies on is kind of the the character's interaction with the world. So you're working your way through the environment, and you're hearing kind of the clinks and clanks of an everyday kind of you know horrible area you know of drains and and whatnot um but then you can hear an enemy's breathing behind a pillar and you get that's really obvious like okay they're behind there but that's so much more effective than just just you know playing that kind of like oh attention moving music there's people coming up it it works really well it's like it keeps you grounded in the environment that you're fighting in it's the um the muffled grunts and yeah. you know the the yeah the hunt you know all the huffs and the puffs of the of the of the of the baddies let's call them um you know yeah I found that really atmospheric for the time like I said the the kind of the faux 3D thing that my TV was doing with the 360 at the time like what and it's kind of scripted in some levels or well maybe for all the levels you hear like thumps going on above you. Yeah, in terms of like footsteps, doom, 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 and you hear something get knocked over, and then you hear, and you hear all these grunts and stuff. Like it felt like they were around you at, at the time, and not so much now because again, games have moved on so much. But there was a real sense of immersion within the sound design, or you know, more like the, the sound effects rather than like you say the lack of um, there was no music going on or anything like that. But I definitely felt like overall the game sold itself. You know, it sold your position in the world with those kind of atmospheric, you know, huffs and puffs. It's uh, quite, yeah, very impressive for the time. It does, I mean, it does have a soundtrack behind it. It has a great kind of opening kind of like detective noir kind of um, kickoff that is a little bit haunting, a little bit like, oh, it's not just going to be yeah. a simple case. Um, but yeah, no, I really I really appreciated those kind of grunts and groans and the way that somebody yeah. kind of swinging an axe at you really... Th- before you got hit by the axe, of course you'd you'd kind of clock, but yeah, no, they put some effort in that before they caved in my head. Hmm. Um. Anybody else on the gameplay? I quite enjoyed the the way that things are just very very mm. quiet until you know, especially it struck me a lot in the first level when like uh, what's the I think is it just the office building, whatever it is, the apartment complex. Um. Where like the you know things haven't really gone south yet, but you're running around in this office building, and it's all you described it earlier as being very linear, which is kind of correct. It's sort of you know you go down one group of hallways and there's dead ends and stuff, and then you'll turn around and you'll hear like some shouting or some scuffling or something from behind, and someone will kick aside a um, yeah like a set of shelves and bust through and. That stuff's quite good when you just sort of got this silence, then suddenly broken by the sounds of somebody like grunting mm. and shouting and like smashing things. There's some really nice um, glass breaking sound effects. It's something that I always appreciate in first person games. Like it looks a bit crap here because it's 16 years old, but you can smash all of the bottles and stuff on the floor. You can like kick them to pieces or hit them with your weapons and stuff. And that all sounds um, 
appropriate and a lot of the different weapons have got a different sort of weighty feel to them different sort of hollow thuds and stuff when you're hitting either walls or people with them um and then another thing that i don't know that i'd ever picked up on this before but right at the end of the game in that last level where you're in the burning house and then the apple i think it's the apple orchard and the um like barns and stuff all going on there's a point in that level where you kind of stop and there's just this like booming noise in the background which sounds like sort of like a heartbeat kind of thudding noise like way in the background and i don't know if i'd ever noticed it before but i noticed it recently playing it because it's also exactly the same thing that happens in uh slender when you start picking up the pages like in the this sort of the ambience all happens you get this exact same like boom 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 like slow methodical like creepy noise in the background and and that coupled with the um the way that that apple orchard and like the by uh, the barns and the burned down stuff it could have been like exactly taken from condemned and then put into uh, slender or at least one of the later releases of slender with extra content and stuff in it like it struck me more than i would have expected mm. it to Right, so let's actually hear from some of the uh, our correspondents on the forum. Always interesting to hear what other people talk about that isn't just the uh, the crew here. Um, I'm sure there'll be some kind of repeated themes of what we've discussed, but there's some interesting takes nevertheless. So, Rinse, Wash, Repeat says, I know a lot of people talk about Chronicles of Riddick as the example of first-person melee, or at least they did. But for me, Condemn was the real blueprint of how it's done. Each swing and impact felt like it had real momentum, unlike other games with first-person melee. I never struggled with gauging if enemies were out of range or not, or whilst on-screen action got hectic, I never found it confusing. Games like Outlast and Resident Evil 7 owe Condemned a great debt. There's Outlast again, see? (laughs) Um, Quiet Paul said, As hit and miss as the melee can be, when it works, it works well. I mostly stayed in a pattern of attack, step back, out of reach, and then attack again. I never relied on the blocking mechanic as much as it seemed to arbitrarily block some shots and not others. If outnumbered, you can always use the handy taser, which is way overpowered, but it can definitely save your bacon. Worse comes to worse, though. Uh, Ethan has an extendable leg he can throw out of his chest and knock most enemies back. This is true. Yeah, and then... We haven't really talked about the block because I found the block to be <laughs> fairly inconsistent. Like I'd go for it and I'd think, yeah, I've done one. And then the next time I'd get an axe directly on my head and take half my health, which, you know, just didn't seem like the, you know, worth the effort. The timing on the block takes uh, a lot to to get used to it. Like it's, it's slow to do it. Uh, it disappears pretty quickly and the enemies do this horrible thing where you hit them, they kind of spin round and immediately come back mm. at you. So your um like your instinct is to hit and then immediately block. But you need to hit and then wait for like a second and then block. And I just for all my souls playing and Sekiro and parrying and all of that stuff, I didn't I never really got the hang of the block here. And it never felt useful enough when you could just backpedal and uh taser or use one of the long weapons to get people before they can get you so it it kind of got to the point where it was more just like a a horrible 
all out brawl to the death. <laughs> like, how quickly can you kill this person and hope that whatever weapon he has isn't one of the ones that takes like a third of your health? Yeah, off and in there's, one there's go. a couple of points to that. I think because the uh, every weapon in a game has like a gauge of like its speed versus its capability of blocking, etc. Uh, obviously, an, an axe or a sledgehammer has a really slow speed versus you know a pipe, a small pipe from the wall has a really fast speed, but you know um, does less damage. All makes sense, but that actually turn, plays into the block mechanic as well, which is obviously a, you know a small lead pipe. You can come up and block a lot faster than an axe, but it's hard to. You know, I always feel like parrying or blocking the game. Like it needs to, you kind of attune to when you need to do it from the angle of someone's weapon coming down towards you. But because you've got these different mechanics from you know two sides of both them and you, and trying to work out where those two are line up, like it. Very rarely did it line up. It felt good when you did it, but half times out of ten, they wouldn't line you to get smacked around the head. Um, and also, I forgot to say, in this game, you can you pick up. Um, it feels like um, uh, Max Payne. You pick up pill pots um, everywhere to kind of uh, re-energize your health, um, and that can be found you know, within the environments and cabinets and stuff. But um, yeah. I found myself running away quite a few times from people just trying, where's the nearest pill pot? I'm going to pot those before we engage in this fight. And there's there's plenty of... Oh, there's pots. loads. Like these abandoned buildings yeah. have got a big <laughs> number of like perfect condition medical kits just hanging around in them. It's it's all about the uh, the booze, I guess. Uh, right. Matten Zwei says, playing video in the mid-2000s in Germany was somewhat patronising hobby. Condemned was one of many other games at the time that was confiscated due to its violence. The fact that a game could be so violent that it was prohibited to dispute or even mention in Germany made it interesting for me. So I went to Denmark and I brought myself a copy of this forbidden fruit. It turned out to be a game I just barely dared to play. Gameplay-wise, it felt a bit like a 3D point-and-click adventure for me, which might not be the most anticipated mechanic, but it sets the tone and atmosphere for the game which is one of the reasons why I play video games. I was really pleased with the game until the first addict showed up and ran towards me with a plank. I tried to shoot him, but was too surprised, scared and stressed to hit him, so I was left with an empty gun and no idea how to finish him off. So he hit me multiple times until I died. I sat there with my heart pounding and and the gamepad in my sweaty hands and thought, this is too scary. There is no way I'll play this all by myself. Luckily, a friend of mine was also interested in banned games, so he came over and we started all over again. As we got further into the game, we got used to the gameplay and began to taser everything that moved. See, there's an easy way up. (laughs) The game became easier and easier as we stunned enemies so we could just execute them with a finishing move, collected dead birds for whatever reason and had a really good time. One evening, I was so desperate to play the game, and since my buddy wasn't around, I tried it on my own. As soon as I spawned in a subway, and one of the addictive maniacs came rushing towards me, I turned off the console and said to myself, Nah, <laughs> it, would, it would be nasty to play this without him. So I watched some old Spongebob episodes that night instead. After all, I truly find this game to be one of my favourites. Yes, the gameplay is far from perfect, the facial animations haven't aged well. The characters are forgettable, and some of the bosses, if not all of them, are a bit out of place. However, the game tried something different, and I think we can all agree that its atmosphere is quite coherent, and it makes you feel uncomfortable at all times. Would I recommend playing it? Definitely. 
I love stories like that. It feels like, you know, going against the grain, going against the system. It's almost like pirating something back in the, you know, mm. back in 2000. It's, it's, it sounds so quaint now, but I, you know, I, I get that. Um, and like, again, as we were saying, you know, I, I think, you know, the impact of what this game had um, 16 years ago, you know, does feel different from really what the game can deliver now. Um, but yeah, in, interesting. So once we've done with the, now we've done with the kind of um, fairly meh story, um, I think some really interesting uh, combat mechanics. Another area of the game which um, it played around with was investigations. I mean, you are a, you know, an agent of the FBI after all, and, you know, you are in uh, an investigation, you're solving these crimes, you know, you're on the, the track of a, a serial killer. So it's, it makes sense that you have these gadgets that help you along the way. So, if I take like the first ten minutes of gameplay, for instance, you find yourself in the first room. Um, is it the matchmaker that you feel like has been doing the the killing of this this person you're coming into? Um, you walk in dark room, and it's like, right, here's your investigation tools. So you have different tools for different things. Um, be it uh, like a an infrared laser light to see blood stains or bodily fluids. Um, you have a, a camera phone, <laughs> which feels like high tech back in 2005. You have a phone that can take pictures uh, and send it back via something called the internet on the phone to uh, HQ uh, and Rosa uh, analyzes these things and gives you um, little clues of how to progress forward. Now, as we've mentioned previously, the game is actually really quite linear. Um, you know, there is just kind of a forward straight path so you will come across these these things in the environment. And for the most part, I feel like the investigations were an idea they had and they just didn't actually implement them very well. So in that first area, it'd be like, well, you need to scan the neck. OK, scan the neck. You need to take a photo, take the photo. Yep, that's your investigation complete. Well done, agent. <laughs> it's like... Okay, well, I'm sure the further I get into the game, the more I'll be using these, you know, these these tools to kind of track where we are. It, apart from towards the very back end of the game, and actually Carl mentioned this, where um, you use the the um, infrared scanner to scan the the final, almost like the final levels environment to kind of look for words that are hidden around um, uh, in hidden places. They just don't do anything with the investigation stuff. It's more of a way of just presenting a scene and for you having a close up of these dead bodies. But it it literally is just linger on dead body, press X or press the right trigger. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing is that, you know, all the tools that you are given is delivered in a very specific mm -hmm. order. Which you can't change. When you hit... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you can't. Yeah, it's very specific, and then when you've got it right, it it flashes up. So you've <laughs> yeah. got it right. Press the button, and you do. It feels like an interactive cutscene. You know, like it feels like the game could play it by itself, and you happen to be pressing the buttons to make the camera zoom in. You know, and get the focus. There was no real kind of agency, or what felt like agency over the actual crime scene at all. Yeah, you couldn't just wander off and find something 
you never felt smart doing it. You always felt like you were just doing like crime by numbers, mm-hmm. you know? It's like, okay, now I'm going to do this one and then I'm going to do that one. But at the time, it felt quite novel to go into a dark room and start whipping around like a black light for any like, you know, dirty stains on the on the bed sheets or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, it felt kind of a bit new and fresh. But like in 2021, it was just like, oh, right, I'm literally like a Crufts dog here. They're going to give me all these hurdles to jump through and I'm just going to jump through them. And then... Come out the other side and go. Yeah, and all right. Let's go through the next kind of. You know, I think basic. Room I think that and, uh, would have been fine if they just focused their attention just a bit further out of this is the dead body. You need to scan the dead. But if it was just like you know, there's there's more of a kind of I don't know more things happening within the scene. I say this because it's it's weird because Condemned Two they absolutely double down on investigation stuff. You do get to pick different tools, and they do they do use it yeah. a lot to actually um, kind of pad out the gameplay. So it's it's there, but it just feels like there's such a humble beginnings of it that it's, it almost might as well not be there, other than mm. a cutscene. It's so it light is. touch, it's incredibly. It's it's honestly it's so light touch and. Much, much like the way that the rest of the game's delivered, it is incredibly linear. Now, the the scenes themselves are also not exactly packed full no. of potential things to investigate or to explore um, in any depth compared to so many other games. Now, you know, you can walk in a room and it'll be absolutely jam packed, and you're searching around for certain um, elements that, that that could be a, a clue or a hint. It's you have to get the appropriate hint in a very sparse environment with this one tool you know when you get it right you move on to the next tool you do that and it, it's really like a, a 3d version of those the games that you play and you just click on stuff on your screen is it unwanted tales for example i think is is, is that kind of game oh like hidden or, object stuff yeah hidden objects kind of game or um a, a slightly duller investigation version of games like CSI or NCIS that we saw. Um, and, and yeah, it, it's just, I think it's to, it's to break up the, 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 the kind of game to, to give an element of pacing, but it, it, it's not a, a, a small lull in the pacing, is it? It's basically a bloody emergency stop, <laughs> yeah. and it, it's just dull and boring. It, it doesn't deliver any real interest in the story on top of that. Now, the the potential was definitely there to do that kind of thing as well. And, you know, yes, we look at it, um, 16 years is a relatively long time, plus the development time of that is makes it older than that. But it's still a bit underwhelming when you look at what other games have done to to really sort of break the bounds of what, what games were doing. It just, for me, I would rather it not have been there at all. And just had it delivered in a in a cutscene, uh, uh, in an interesting manner. But you know, put it in, put it in your own hands. Sounds like a cool thing, but you've got to at least make some some something about it interesting. And it's just it really is as dull as dishwater. Uh, and and that's quite. It, it's, it's just quite an sad, idea but, that's not realised. I mean, yeah. it, it's. It's yeah. hardly yeah, the first exactly. game before or after that has has ideas that they they just don't do anything with. It it goes back to that. Yeah, it, yeah, it goes back to that work. point where it it feels like you know, having played Condemned Two, it's like well, clearly that was their vision for this. They either run out of resources or time or or both, and what was left was well, we can't take it out now, so let's just let's just make it you mm. know, so it doesn't break. 
and and that's what it and but what is weird is right at the end of the game they 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 expand on it yeah. it's almost like oh we we do have like another month of development so maybe we'll we'll add it here is where the, the last part of the game so it like that stuff could have been there it's just it's really it's really quite odd to go through it certainly now as a mo- <laughs> in a modern day environment and it's always worse it's, it always feels worse when something comes out of the, the you know right at the end of the game you go well, this is actually really good to the point that that the bit where you're going around with the black light around that building is genuinely my favorite part oh, of the what, whole game. One one of the yeah, reasons like, really for good. that is it because was, when you've got your infrared tool out, you know you, you're looking looking for things in the environment. You're you haven't got a weapon with you because you know you, you're using that tool in your hand. So you you're actually putting yourself at a quite a, a disadvantage in a combat scenario because that's there and you've got that kind of like. There's a lot of noise in in that environment. There's lots of things going on. You feel like there's an ever present of somebody yeah. watching you, which they kind of are in 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 that scenario. And you can't do anything about it because you're choosing. Well, do I want to trace down these these you know these words that I need to do to progress the level, or do I want to hold this you know this wrench just in case somebody comes around the corner? And that stuff's good. Like it it could have added just that little bit more, which it does in in the sequel. Has to be said, but here it just feels. Completely under underdeveloped. Sorry, John, you were going to say. Uh, I I think you've all said the things that I was going to add to it, but I I um the, the parts where it forces you to like pull out your black light or the the green similar to a black light thing that I'm not yeah. really entirely sure what the difference between them is like, and it's it it puts you in a fairly small area and makes you find a thing, and sometimes it's super obvious when there's literally like a dead body there what it is but there were a couple of points where i was walking around in not even a particularly big area with the black (laughs) light just looking for this tiny little thing like a tiny fingerprint on the wall or something and the the game it does that weird thing where it's like the character clearly knows what they need to do here but you as the player don't like and if you had a you know sort of a scroll wheel where you switched between all of your different tools Mm. and figured out which one you, you were needing to use then it would might it might be a little bit more more compelling but the the spots where they do do it like you say the the bit in the house at the end and there's similar i think in every single level or most of the levels there's one of the birds that for some reason smells when yeah, everything yeah, like else in the game doesn't you? yeah it, yeah you've got i can't even <laughs> remember what name. it's called yeah. it's called something really stupid like a smellometer <laughs> or, or something like that and it's got the little little bar that ticks up and there's the, i think there's one bird in every level that you can find from quite a long way away with this thing and there's a point in one of the levels where you use it to find a body at the same time and as you're doing that you're going through quite a large area and people can come in and attack you while you're doing it so that arguably was more interesting than here's a sealed off room if you leave the room it will tell you you're leaving the yeah. investigation area just find like the little thing in it like it's it just unfortunately had so much potential that um, wasn't really used beyond a couple of pretty minor sequences. Um, the other thing it, the game does, talking about kind of that environmental kind of messing with the environment, is there's there's locked doors, you know, you know, you know, blocking your way, and quite often it'll just be a case of you need to find a fire axe to break down the door. Why no other weapon works for these doors? But that's just game logic. That's fine. And I kind of like the idea that you have to kind of go off and hunt for a fire axe, be it you know, in somewhere in the level that's up on the wall or quite often hunting the, 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 the nearest mob somewhere and looking at them to see if they've got a fire axe. And, and you know, sometimes it can take you know, 10, 
10, 15 minutes kind of just beating your way through uh, an area just to find that one guy, the fire axe, kill him with his own weapon, then walk back and go, right, here's the passageway I need to walk through. But I do like that kind of environmental kind of, well, this is blocking you, you need to find the one thing you need through here. And that plays through like some of the areas you need a shovel to, to break through the uh, the electrical fence areas. Um, yeah. It just, I don't know. That's definitely how those Absolutely. types of Absolutely. You, know, you won't get electrocuted. It's all fine. But um, cut the wire, <laughs> like the complicated uh, keypad <laughs> lock on it just doesn't yeah. work anymore. The lock just slides open. Yeah. They, they were just like a modern day red, blue, yeah. yellow key card, right? That's, the, that's, that's what that was to me. It was fine. It seemed a bit kind of, you uh, if 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 it said fire axe required, you knew There's there was one nearby. Here. And that felt a little bit kind of a bit like on the nose. You know, it was always kind of like, oh, okay, so there's going to be one around here somewhere. There was no like, there was no like secret doors that with like the potential of you maybe unlocking some extra cool things like because of it. You didn't have a fire axe and therefore you could bust down this door and get an unlock. Lots of the collectibles and the stuff are hidden behind those doors. Lots of them aren't um, like critical parts. Yeah, so I'd, I'd say there's there's some areas where I'd call them like the weapons cache rooms, where if you made the extra effort and actually broke down some of these doors and then went round, you know, explored a bit off the beaten path, then you'd find a room that you could get find yourself in, and in that room you might find a gun. Um, the game, obviously, there's a few of us here that quite liked achievements um and you know this game was one of my first kind of forays with uh, enjoying a game with enjoy- achievements has to be said this is a rare example of a, uh, a main retail game certainly on the 360 that only had 970 gamer score not the thousand because i hadn't quite worked out how that system was gonna yeah, there's a few yeah. launch games that had some weird things like that with them and some of them got patched yeah. in later this on this one didn't there's a few odd ones that are left. I think this is one of very few that remains under a yeah, thousand points odd. for a proper retail um, game. There's maybe two others across. And those the board. achievements were basically just you know completing levels, finding the collectibles, etc. Um, and part of those was finding these TVs with Xbox 360s attached to them, playing oh, videos. They're great with a nice condemned faceplate yeah. on the thing and a like a white <laughs> controller hooked up to it. Yeah. And the, the best thing about them is you go up to this TV and the button prompt is like get achievement or unlock yeah. achievement just for looking at the TV. There's nothing that, there. It's I think that's stuff in the PC's like version is actually ripped out of the PC. I think it's literally just TVs. They haven't got the 360 there. <laughs> so, oh. um, but that was fun. I, I still have glitched achievements in this game. I replayed it again, trying to get the ones that I you know didn't unlock for me back in the day and they still don't unlock for me now because apparently it's tied to your profile, no save game. And it's like, oh, for goodness but never mind. Whatever, I'm not going to get upset about that. But um, yeah, still kind of like if you're not, if you weren't into achievements, which I'm going to guess a lot of people at the time had no idea what were what. You know, the idea is these birds and metal pieces are just being collectibles. You know, didn't they didn't tell you any law about it? They were just dead birds that are rotting and some metal pieces. And like I say, they address that stuff in the sequel. But in here, it's just a collectibles for collectibles' sake. Um. I didn't look any of them up, but some of the collectibles, I think it's the metal pieces, they unlock these investigation they reports. They do, yeah, and collectibles in-game. And I didn't actually go and read any of those. There's some behind-the-scenes stuff. Yeah, no, there is some behind... If you collect, you know, most of the collectibles, you've got um, a, you know, behind-the-scenes documentaries and stuff that they unlock on the disc. So, not not terrible. But, um, yeah, narrative-wise, they make no sense unless you've played the sequel. Um, yeah, so I, anything else to say about the investigations? Because, yeah, for me, it was pretty pretty underwhelming. 
Um, in fact, we have a correspondence from Deadpool Negative that says the investigation mechanic is one of is one aspect of the gameplay that hasn't aged well at all. At first, I found it kind of intriguing, but it only amounted to mostly lining the analog sticks up until I heard a buzz and then click the right trigger, which triggered more exposition from Rosa. The investigation segments are to be condemned commended for trying to break up the grind of wandering through the wreckage trying to avoid getting your head taken off but I began to dislike them near the end which I think is what we basically said um, visual design guys so I don't think it looks too bad actually for a game from 2005 certainly as a launch title hmm. yeah, I mean we yeah. spoke about it briefly earlier on how the game yeah, it, it looks better than most launch games in terms of first-person action. I think PGR probably takes it for beauty, but car games always seem to do that. Um, but yeah, in terms of like, you know, what's the competition at the time? You know, there or thereabouts. Call of Duty 2. Call, yeah, King Kong and PDZ. The Outfit, and maybe. Cameo. Yeah, a bunch of games that look like... like They were like polished so much that they were shining plastic. Like Cameo, for example, is just... It just there's so many kind of like shiny games mm. of that era, and I feel like Condemned has it's got its own like plastic shininess to it. And I know Carl just said what it was, but I'm not repeating it because I don't want to sound like I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm just going to say shiny plastic toys and Condemned. I, overall, I feel like the actual the way the levels are constructed are really kind of mm-hmm. like bare bones yeah. now. Like you can you can kind mm-hmm. of see the level editor as you're playing through it. You're like, okay, here comes a corridor. It's going to be an S-shaped one for loading reasons. <laughs> oh yeah, go there's, there's assets in this game. Yeah. <laughs> you can you can see the kind of the editor behind the scenes like working in front of you. You know that's fine. You know it didn't bother me too much. It was, I did find it a bit kind of tedious as you kind of just plod on through like okay it's going to be a little bit where he's going to shuffle through a bookcase and it's going to be but overall in terms of visual design it's fine i feel like the um the animations in the cutscenes, there's something to do with the eyes their <laughs> eyes look like they're going to pop out their head their faces are quite square as well which is quite funny <laughs> yeah yeah it's yeah. yeah it's quite amusing really but you know at the time it, you know I, I thought it looked really nice for the time for the atmosphere now you know we've obviously experienced Games that look phenomenal and probably will look rubbish in fifteen years' time, but um, yeah, it is quite a. But I didn't really like how it looked nowadays, but it didn't completely offend me. No, it doesn't fall into the same track that uh, trap that many sort of three D games did in the Xbox, PlayStation Two era, where you know, and, and certainly the PS One era, where they don't hold up that well. Um. You know, I, I think games had got a little bit better at being able to hold their appeal a longer period of time. But if you look at those launch games, Call of Duty Two does still have some element of appeal. It was, you know, it it, it was a really strong implementation of things like normal mapping, um, which we we did have on Xbox. You know, Halo Two famously had it all over the place, which is why it took ages to pop in on all the cutscenes. Um, then we had Perfect Dark Zero, which was just normal mapped and specular mapped up the wazoo, so everything proper was really shiny. And rather than go this route, and it's not that this game doesn't have those techniques, it definitely does, but it went for actual lighting. So it was it it, it you know the the, the shadow play um, was probably the strongest element there. It had a narrow field of view, so it didn't have to render so much on the screen. It was super big and chunky, so it was quite zoomed in, and all that allowed it to basically have more graphical grunt to be able to display all these things. And I think 
play that that play of light and dark was a really smart choice because tone is kind of timeless if it's done right and that is where it really shone and the reason i wanted to play it is because there was not a lot that actually looked like that in terms of that 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 appeal and where it does kind of fall short is with those characters um the very chunky and basic and i feel like i can take characters out of condemned and place them in maybe 10 other first year xbox games where they all kind of had that that similar sort of look i mean quick four it's quite oh, similar God, yeah. in, in some ways they're like the um, gears of war guys if instead of like showing off their muscles you just put like big trench coats over them they just look like yeah it, like sort of hidden beefcakes yeah it's it's such a strange character style um and yeah, do you know what? I think Gears of War might have been one of those visual turning points for what characters actually look like on on sort of Xbox 360 games. And yeah, it's just I hate the looks of the characters, but I really love the looks of the world. <laughs> well, I think some of that is because it was a propriety engine that they were using um, as a you know, as a studio. So you know, we hadn't wandered into the point of you know the epics or Unreal's and you know the engines that you know I feel like become just off the shelf engines for pretty much the entirety of the 360 generation like almost everything looked the same as everything by the end um so i think there is a little bit of that i got i got some weird um oh what's the game max payne typey vibes from i know that sounds weird but it's just like the way that facial stuff was done <laughs> It's like no, it's a bit, just a bit stagey. I, I don't know. It just yeah, like overacted or something, like overexpressions. Yeah. I mean, it... I like when you knock the the guy to their knees and you like get in really close. Especially one of the one of the things you do is like a headbutt, and the face <laughs> that comes towards the screen as you headbutt, just with this like frozen look of horror, and like you can kind of see the eyeballs bulging as you move. The camera like moves closer into it. It's yeah, yeah, like <laughs> stagey, overexpressive is is kind of a good way to describe. But then it. again, I you know I think about other games, you know, games that really got under my skin around this time. I think something like Manhunt, where yeah, that that felt like a proper nasty game, you know, um, and sold that environment maybe a bit more than something like Condemned. But it once again a bit more gamey. But yeah, it's. The other, the other thing, coming back to it in in you know, sixteen years later, it, it does feel very level by level. You know, you you have the department store, the alley, the you know the, the metro station. You got the school. You got, you you got the final level, which opens out a little bit more into like this apple orchard. But it feels very much like start of level, end of level. Where in fact, it it bookmarks each level bit by bit. And I feel like you know games have moved away from from that. A little bit more nowadays. Um, I mean, it helps when you're playing. You're like, okay, I've done a level tonight. I'll move, I'll move on. But yeah, it does feel a bit kind of more staged. Although they, you know, they do well enough selling the environments, but they all tend to blend in a little bit together. You know, the the library. You know, yes, it, it feels more like a library because it has clearly books around, but it, it's not a million miles away from you know a de- department school or the secondary school. Um, yeah, you know, I'm thinking more about just those moments that happen 
in in those situations more than you know the environment selling those places because they are quite sparse you know they are quite like that's the asset we'll use that same kind of library bookcase over and over again in the environment mm. um, and just kind of place it at slightly different angles and whatnot there's an aspect to it where i think definitely in my mind the biggest um comparison here is fear because it's similar sort of time same developer i think there's definitely some elements of asset reuse i mean there's a lot of differences between the two games i think like the physics system between them is quite different but uh, you notice things like um just the really bland gray concrete sort mm. of corridors and stuff and that's you i mean granted it's you can't really complain about that because that is the way this game is set and it's the way that fear is set like you have a level in a water treatment facility of all places. It's not going to be a you know carnival, is it? It's going to be a load of dingy grey corridors with like dripping pipes and water and that sort of crap in them. Like you can't really expect too much. But um, I think there's there is an element where the the levels here do have like their visual differences, and there's there's also um, not maybe not in all of them but you look across them and a lot of the levels will have their own at least one or two unique weapon types in them like the train yeah. station will have these boards that you can rip off the walls like train timetables the school has got like desktops the the department store has a whole load of mannequins and coat racks and stuff the library has a whole load of um like guillotine paper cutter blades and that sort of thing the burning barn at the end has the two by four that has now gotten burned. Which they use being, really uh, well, don't they, in the environment? Because you lose all bolts. the light and you can, mm. you know, you have to navigate the environment with your two by four that's alight whilst hitting people around the head with it. Just, I thought it was quite cool. Yeah, the fire stuff at the end of that is is like surprisingly good, and the shadows and things work quite well with it as well. Um, it's creepy seeing like the the enemies in that level who are like these big mm. big guys who are, seem tougher than a lot of the others, and they've got um, if you get a good look at them. They they look like they're either like pretty heavily deformed or like really badly burnt or something, and that's another um, kind of call to Outlast as a an enemy in Outlast who kind of chases you through a lot of the game. And I think he's supposed to be like someone who was caught in a bomb blast or something, and he's got that really burnt face, like pulled back teeth look that these guys have as well. So there's like the I don't really know if it's environmental storytelling, but certainly the um kind of level by level stuff is is something a little bit more interesting than just being completely the same throughout the whole thing. I think one of the things that helps it in from a modern point of view is that obviously it, it feels a lot lower resolution than a game would, would be now. And the fact that it's so dark and kind of so murky in these areas, it doesn't play against it. If anything, it kind of plays it like now you'd add a really heavy kind of film grain over a title to kind of come up with this. In this case, it isn't a film grain. It's just how um, low and murky the resolution feels within within the game set. So it kind of gets away of it in, in the way that it, it sets about and that doesn't work against it. So, um, yeah, I, overall, I think it's it felt competent enough. I do remember it feeling... I do remember that Apple Orchard back in 2005 being... You know, quite scary, kind of working my way through that dark area. The, the a lot of enemies, a lot of guns being around in in that area as well. And I certainly have that visual image of me ripping hates. Was it like a face braces? You take his, yeah, you rip his like jaw out, out of his like face, wired jaw out of him. Um, yeah, yeah that's kind grim. of grim. <laughs> uh, and there's there's some pretty uh, some pretty good um, like 
foreshadowing bits there's a bit in there which is i think by far the most difficult combat sequence in the game because one thing we haven't really mentioned is the saving and this is just kind of checkpoints it saves checkpoints and they're generally not too bad but sometimes there's there's a reasonable amount of distance between them if you do Mm. end up dying Uh, and there is this bit right before you have to fight hate where it pits quite a lot of different guys they they all come in waves yeah it kind of is and then the last bit of it is an actual um like first stage of the boss fight with hate as well who i think has he's got these i think they're called sticks Mm -hmm. that when you actually pick them up but they kind of look like you know those knobbly things that you use to like lift a a washing machine out or like attach a washing machine to a wall or something like these hollow tubes that have got all these jagged bits sticking off the edges of them um and that going through that about five different times really annoyed me right before the the very end of the game like um but it's kind of this cool thing where you're you're in this semi-destroyed barn and you haven't really seen the the hate very much but he sort of sat there perched a little bit like a bird kind of on top of this I don't know what it is, like this cabinet in the middle of the room that's kind of the focal point where all these guys are coming out and fighting you. So it definitely has its like its set pieces and its moments. Um, one thing that I kind of want to talk about a little bit is the whatever the physics engine behind this is, because this is this is another thing that surprised me with the the talk of oh, it's such a violent, it's such a, a brutal game. Like it's it's kind of brutal in the way that you know is this very visceral melee combat, but it's not like um, something like fear, which you would imagine it may be running on the same engine, but like you don't get, despite the fact that you're smacking people with you know guillotines from a paper cutter and like fire axes, you don't really get like any damage no. physics on any of the enemies. There's not really any like major amounts of blood apart from the set pieces where it's supposed to be. Like you don't whack a guy to death and then get like a massive pool of blood. Like you you'll see like a bit of um you know, red tinge on, uh, tinge on their body. And if you, like, continue to hit them or kick them when they're dead, you'll see, like, a little bit more of that appear. And, like, very occasionally, you'll get, like, a couple of teeth that you see on the floor nearby when you've smacked someone to pieces. But there's no, there's no like, jibbing, there's no blood spray, really, or splatter or anything. And that's con- compared to Fear, where very obviously it's got, like, that shotgun where you get right up to somebody and blast them and they just turn into yeah. chunks. And all sorts of explosives and stuff. You can pin people to walls. There's like dripping and proper ragdolling and stuff. And there's a weapon in a railgun in that that literally just turns somebody into a skeleton <laughs> in front of you. And like the the rest of their body is just sort of this sprayed all around the walls in between. And you just there's not really any of that here. Which I I thought I was going to come back to it this and be like, oh yeah, this is really bloody. Like hacking a guy's arm off with an axe, but. It's just not there at and, and all. Back to my point I was, I was making earlier, it feels somewhat like a safe AAA title. Like it, like that stuff could be there, and whether that was a choice not to do it or not. But it, it feels like you know, if you just wanted to let go, like the physics, the the kind of the melee combat, the visceral nature of that combat sells it. That if you did, you know, have plenty of blood splurting from these guys or you know, an arm falling off, you know, it it would sell it really well. It really would. At the same time, it's almost like, well, no, that's that's maybe just a bit too far. Like we want we want to be able to get this thing out to everybody. Feels like maybe two thousand five was a little bit more sensitive to that stuff. But then again, mm. you know, 
Soldier Fortune. Fear was the same fear, time, yeah. but that's a cartoon. And you're in in Fear, you're like killing clone soldiers or something. I can understand the you know tonal disparity between that and like you know bum fights 2.0, mm. which is you know, arguably a much darker, more depressing tone than shoot all these clones and turn them into skeletons and they ragdoll around and it's quite comical at the same time. There's no but maybe that's why it still holds up to some degree because it doesn't lean on that stuff. It actually just kind of sells the the combat itself and doesn't you know you know need to fall back on that kind of shock and awe rather than just kind of like oh god yeah I hit him with a, a bat like that that feels like I hit him with a bat rather than oh my god like his head just exploded. I mean there, there's definitely a market for that and I would imagine there was a market for that in 2005 as much as there is in in 2021 if not more, but. You know, I don't. You know, I wasn't playing it now, thinking, "Oh wow, I wish this was like more blood." I mean, it's just like, "Oh, this is still quite visceral." Right. Um, so to, to finish up the conversation, we had a number of foreign correspondents, which we always love. Um, I've taken uh, bits from here and there and added it within the conversation, but here are the few at the end. Tolkien Taters. This is an interesting game I've been meaning to play for a while. So when I saw it was coming up on Kane and Rinse, I played it on PC. It's a pretty good looking game, character models aside, with some nice atmosphere. The melee combat was great. I liked the level design, how sections were gated off by needing certain weapons, and the limited use of guns with a clever design choice. The first half of the game was a little bland, but the last half was a big improvement with more interesting environments and enemy encounters. For the negative aspects, the story, characters, and attempts at horror didn't work for me at all. There was one interesting scare that was so heavily t- telegraphed, it lost all impact. I thought Fear was a lot more effective as a horror game. The final boss was pretty janky, and it definitely took too long, at least 50 swings to trigger his kneeling animation, which made it feel like I was doing something wrong and not damaging, damaging him. On a more serious note, it's a fairly tropey idea for people with mental illnesses and drug addiction to be the enemies in video games, but it's a pretty gross trope and it's very present here. Aside from that big issue, it's a solid game that I enjoyed, but I'd struggle to recommend unless somebody just wanted a good first-person melee game. Uh, Darren, can you read the next one? Hmm, this is from Megadirt. Condemned was so popular when the Xbox 360 launched that my manager in-game didn't allow me to buy it on day one, as every single launch console bundle rely on chipping away at our finite copies. So I spent that evening playing Perfect Dark Zero online with my manager, and after a few hours of disillusionment, he retired to play Tony Hawk and promised he would sell me Condemned the following day. I remember it being my first 1,000 points on 360, though if I remember correctly there were only 970 available, but I got them all. The thing that stood out to me the most was the ability to seemingly grab any random part of the scenery and run up to the nearest lunatic and batter him, batter them like a Mars bar. I vaguely remember the birds bursting through a window being the scariest thing I'd ever experienced, which didn't last long because the mannequins were really shifting positions when I wasn't looking and then moving while I was looking had never le- has never left me. Andrew McCarthy would have had a, would have had a very different experience in this department store, even without the distorted Christmas music. I haven't thought about it much since the launch era of Xbox 360 games, but I remember it very fondly, and I'd be scared to play it again in case it has aged as brutally as I have in the past 15 <laughs> <Haven't> we years. <laughs> mm. uh, John? 
Uh, so Deadpool Negative says, I bought Condemned Criminal Origins a while ago when it was only four ninety nine on sale. Played it for a while, but found the first-person combat to be too fiddly for me. I don't like how I can't hold the block, or more accurately, that the block is so quick. But playing it again for the podcast, I found myself getting into it more now that I'm able to get the timing down. Condemned is that exclusive first-person fighting game. Previous games, like Escape from Butcher Bay and Breakdown tried, while Butcher Bay was fun, it didn't quite stick the landing. Condemned's swing and blocking system can at times be unfairly crude, but if you can figure out the rhythms and remember that the taser exists, which I often didn't for some reason, it's a satisfying gameplay loop. The creators of this game really set out to create a 7 or saw simulator, and of the 16 years since the game's release, the grimy atmosphere really holds up. Everything feels so grimy and lost. On the one hand, is there any inhabitable build? Is there any inhabitable building in this city? But on the other, the more you trudge through it, the more it gets under your skin. The lack of incidental music is a huge plus. I enjoy a good moody score as much as the next guy, but the fact that there's so little of it mirrors the idea that it's just Ethan Thomas, the only seemingly sane person in a city full of madmen. So very, very alone, cut off from his fellow police with only a voice on the other end of the cell phone to give him information. At any moment, a crazy person could bash his head in. Today, there's one thing that hasn't aged well, the graphics. The environments are still nice, but the characters' models, woof. I know this was 2005, but I often cringe at the cutscenes where the characters speak. Ethan in the game looks like his voice actor, Greg Grun- Grunberg, if you ordered Greg Grunberg <laughs> off Wish. <laughs> as, as I said earlier, the game feels like a saw simulator, much like Resident Evil 7 Biohazard is a Texas Chainsaw Massacre simulator. Our hero is confounded by a killer with a twisted moral code, but it turns out Ethan himself is the bigger part of the story. Uh, sorry, is a bigger part of the story than he or the player realizes. Very familiar stuff and threatens to become almost comical, but again, the atmosphere, the tension, the gameplay loop carries you through it. I appreciate Monolith for trying something new with Condemned and producing a game that surprisingly holds up if you're willing to power through the rough edges and let it cast its spell on you. Also, mannequin arms and coat racks are deadly weapons. Who knew? Uh, Carl, could you tackle Quiet Paul's correspondence, please? Absolutely. So Quiet Paul said, one of the true original modern horrors. This is a game that really creeped me out when I first got it in 2006, with clear influences from such films as Seven, Hellraiser, and Silence of the Lambs. It was one of the few early horror games to really nail the atmosphere for me. Playing it now, in comparison to games that have come since, it still holds a sense of creepiness and dread for what lurks in the darkness, or what's around the next corner, but every floor it has stands out a lot more. Aged like a fine wine, it holds a place in my classic horror games list. I'll start with what I like about it. The settings are well detailed. Each location in the game is a condemned building crawling with psychotic homeless drug addicts. Like Ethan, they believe they are forced to fight for their lives. I love the train station, the library, the department store and the school. The atmosphere in these places is so thick, even with little to no music at all. When you hear the floors around you start creaking, the patterning of bare feet on concrete, the heavy breathing of some crazy person hiding somewhere as you know someone or something is waiting for you nearby with ill intentions. You get actual real rewards for picking up collectibles in the game and getting achievements. Also on the Series X it takes less than two seconds from when you press continue game to actually playing. I'm not sure if this was the same on PC, 
but I was mightily impressed to go instantly from the menu to in-game. Now for the other stuff. The environments do look nice, however the characters look like ass. Even at the time I remember thinking Ethan looked like what I imagined someone would look like with the body of a rugby player and the head of a dense concrete block, and the face that someone has hastily constructed from plasticine. During the first level when the suspect makes a break for it up the escape, Detective Dickinson, Dickinson changes his mind and decides not to go back up but to split up and send Ethan to get the power to the building back on for some reason. The detective could easily have ended the whole game by waiting 10 minutes until backup arrived, covering all the exits and waiting. The first enemy encounter in the game makes me laugh out loud every single time. There's, inco um, there's incoherent shouting in the background. Ethan shouts, Federal Agent, come out peacefully or I will use force. Then the enemy screams, F you. Later in the same level, when the suspect has Ethan's gun and has him pinned against the wall, the police kick down the door behind him and tell him to drop the gun while aiming their guns at him. The suspect then turns and points his gun at the police and shoots them both. Eventually. Between the time he aimed his gun and actually fired it, the police could quite easily have gone to the toilet, had their union-sponsored cigarette and coffee break, came back and emptied their clips into the suspect before he bothered to pull the trigger. Also, I'm pretty sure he just aimed in the general direction of the police and not directly at them, so I guess both policemen just died of embarrassment or something. Rosa has a five o'clock shadow. Thanks to the extras gained from getting achievements, it showed the motion captures of the last boss which had him Filipino stick fighting. Even in game it looked relatively impressive, however despite his fancy skills with a metal stick, his moves were completely negated by me running into his face and mashing the hit button and defeating him quite easily. According to an article I read, on average throughout the whole of the US there are between 25 and 50 active serial killers at any one time. There are five total serial killers mentioned throughout this game, the matchmaker, the torturer, the roadside carver, the bone cutter, and SKX. The idea then must be considered that, on the minimum basis, around one-fifth of all the US serial killers reside in just Metro City. Or did, before Serial Killer X gave them what for. Whilst of course I am being droll and facetious about some of the stuff that hasn't aged quite as well, I absolutely recommend Condemned and Condemned 2. These games are a precursor of future classics such as Amnesia and Outlast. The Outlast games take quite a bit few influences from uh, Condemned, and they're some of my favourite modern horror games. Condemned, Condemned atmosphere, settings, audio and the enemies are so drenched in dread with headphones on, playing in the dark on hard mode will leave you exhausted by the end. You will be scared, but not for what you can see, but for what you can't. It's a shame Monolith couldn't get Nine Inch Nails for the opening title sequence. Yeah, a number of good points. I think a lot of those we've raised that that's that opening scenes where he, he does shoot the cops is kind of hilarious. It does take an extraordinarily long time to pull the trigger. And it is funny, but you know, hey ho. Um as you all know, before the uh short before the show records, uh, on the day we love to put out a free word review shout to people on Twitter just to engage them. That's what we did today, and these are the ones we got. John. Uh, so Matten's Vice says Taser hit repeat. Quiet Paul. Killer be killed. Rinse, wash, repeat. Says swing, rebar, bent. Dave Salas says not enough gamer score. Mike Bamford says mannequin jump scares. Christopher Love, feel the impact. Yeah. So that brings us to the conclusion. Um, so, in summary, Carl. I enjoyed Condemned. I think it was... 
an opportunity missed to be great, but it was good. It was an interesting launch title. It was a bold and brave launch title to do a game of that type and to actually shine in melee combat, an area that so many games struggle to get wrong, deserves such great credit for their ability to be able to make it actually feel um, tense and part of the action. So a great amount of credit for that. Even 16 years on, it, it still looks impressive in the combat scenes. My biggest frustration about Condemned is that it really took until the game's finale area for me to really love what it was trying to do. And knowing that they could have done that really makes the start of the game feel even worse than the areas I didn't like the first time I went through them. So the quality is that high, ultimately, at the end of the game that it's made everything else before it drop a level from where it originally stood. And for me, making that as a recommendation to go and play now is, is quite a tough one. Um, but it the story does ultimately bleed into the second. So as much as I think some things, not everything, are improved in the sequel, if the sequel isn't of interest to you, you kind of really should be playing the first one first. That said, I think many games have taken and run with the Condemned formula and gone on to much greater things and and much greater you know implementations i think for me i mentioned it earlier briefly but bioshock is something that just expanded in every single possible way to something that condemned does you know it's the environments the characters the writing the combat the tension um of bioshock just far outstrips something like condemned um so if you're looking for a game of this ilk, either go back to the origins of games that influenced it, like System Shock 2, or staying in the Shock series, go and play Bioshock. Uh, I just think Condemned has... It served its purpose for the market at the time that it was released, and I, you know, I appreciate what I enjoyed back in 2005, but maybe Condemned is best left in that time. Yeah, it's... Picking up from where you left off there, actually, I I feel that's where my feelings lie. You know, I I mentioned earlier, and I I think this is still correct, that by modern day standards, it feels like this kind of indie developed game. You know, somebody just kind of setting out and having a, a bunch of ideas, and you'd play it and go, God, if this had the budget just to be that that little bit bigger, then this could really be something. But at the same time, like uh, an indie project of the scale, they would probably go deeper with the way that its violence is portrayed or I don't know just just double down on a lot of stuff to make it that much more visceral so it feels like a a, a kind of like a a double a triple a game um caught in a wrong era it, it's a bit odd and I think from a from a modern day standards I just go yeah no it's it was an enjoyable interesting romp um I hadn't planned to kind of replay I don't think I'd ever really planned to have replayed condemned in in 2021 it wasn't in that kind of shelf of stuff i'd wanted to go back to but it you know i haven't i haven't disliked my time with it playing it for the show again you know there's some elements that have have clearly not aged as well and having played the sequel you know there's many elements which they expand upon the original game to kind of flesh out the investigation to to maybe go a bit deeper in the story although you know by going a bit deeper in the story maybe you know they lose some of the kind of 
more intrigue because it's a bit too kind of like, oh God, this makes no sense anymore. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think for as bare bones as Condemned is, certainly in 2021, I found I found the combat still, you know, highly kind of visceral and enjoyable to engage with. Um, and the most of the rest of the trappings kind of like, oh yeah, that hasn't aged as well as, as gracefully as it could have done. So yeah, for me, I've enjoyed my time with it. I Would I recommend you go and play it? I think there's so many more interesting um, games in, in this kind of genre that, you know, it, this wouldn't be at the top of my list. But I think, it, you know, if you found yourself, it's about, what's it, six, ten hours long? It's around that. It's not short, but it's not massively long. Yeah, you could you could do worse. Um, Darren? Yeah, you know. Um, I'm going to come along <laughs> the same lines as you two, really. I feel like it's a game of its time. You know, it's a launch game on a, on a new generation of consoles back then. And, you know, it kind of feels a bit bare bones and a bit empty around the corners. You know, the from what we expect from games nowadays, you know, you, you plonk yourself back in that world and you're like, oh, OK, right. Yeah, like I can actually I can see the video game here now, whereas I couldn't yeah, before. And that's kind of a bit of a disappointment. Yeah, um, I really liked it back in the day. I would always say that, oh, you've got to try Condemned. And But if it, if that was now, in 2021, I'd point you towards Resident Evil 7 as a kind of a, a first-person horror game that you, you can fight back in. Like, I, I prefer first-person horror games where you can fight back because there's, there's an ownership and there's kind of a, there's a, there's a feeling of conquering an area or moving on and not being chased by something where you've, where you know you're hiding like alien isolation or something similar to that i always prefer the combat horror games and um in first person i'd just say look just play resi 7 because even though that has its own brand of silliness near the end i still feel like it's a more horrific experience in the first person camera you know condemned if they were to reboot it i reckon they could do a really good job of Mm -hmm. reselling me as you know ethan in this world but i think there's quite a few troubling messages you know in terms of entering a a, a horrible area and it's full of drug users and homeless people you know i'd I'd imagine there's some message in there that could they that they could probably do with reworking but um overall a game of its time you know maybe leave it there if you're going to remake it then proper completely like reinvent the wheel and you know the, the time would be right because horror games are selling quite well apparently uh, and finally, John. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't think I'm also going to say anything massively different from what the three of you have just said. Um, I think I've got very fond memories of playing this when it was much more relevant and much, uh, you know, much more sort of comparable with with other games of its time and the system and everything. Obviously, I've always had a big um, a big soft spot for horror games, and I've enjoyed lots of different types of horror games, and really enjoyed how the genre has kind of adapted over various years from pretty early days to, to what is now considered to be, you know, the kind of the epitome of um, how to make the scariest possible game. And that, that seems to change every so often. And, you know, arguably uh, the same is true with like horror movies, different genres come in and out of fashion and uh, are occasionally thought to be this is the scariest thing in the world, and you look back <laughs> on it later on, and it's actually kind of a little bit laughable, and that that very much kind of falls into that same category where um, there were lots of movies and stuff at the same sort of time as this that would have been considered to be the most shocking thing ever made, and 
you're looking at your sores and your hostels and things around this time. Well, that torture porn, torture there you porn go, yeah. was, um, yeah, was the big thing around the time that this came out. And this is kind of not inarguably kind of along those lines of just really sort of gritty in your face, disgusting things happening. Um, so, I mean, it certainly has its time and place. I think for the most part that time and place is, is now past and the, the genre has moved on a little bit. And there are games that probably do most of the aspects that Condemned tries to do better now. And there's, there's certainly games that, or almost certainly games, unless you're extremely specifically set off or triggered by by certain things that are present here there are definitely things that are going to you know give you more of an adrenaline rush and more of a more of a spook than this will probably do now especially with uh, some of the weird um facial uh, expressions and um sort of slightly hunched look when you're running up a flight of stairs with one shoulder like really really high up against your cheek <laughs> in the shadows that looks bizarre so th- I mean, there's almost that kind of comedy aspect to this now as well. But I think it's I think it's still an enjoyable game. I didn't expect a huge amount coming back to it 15 years later, and I think honestly it delivered as much, if not more, than I was expecting it to be for such a huge break between times that I played it. Um, it is difficult to particularly recommend when, just in general, kind of everything has gone on in leaps and bounds beyond this but i mean it's it's frequently very cheap i think currently there's some sort of um sale on the xbox where it's 375 or something in the uk and like 499 for other systems there's something about it that i i don't understand why um given the way that the backwards compatibility program works across the xbox consoles now this is available backwards compatible on future consoles but condemned 2 isn't and I thought that that was always to do with developers and publishers and stuff having a say, but given that it's the same developer and publisher, I don't understand why you can't play Condemned 2 on anything beyond a 360, so that might be a little bit of a decision maker. If you can't continue the series, then a little bit, what's the point in it? But, you know, it's it's not like a massive investment either time-wise, money-wise, stress-wise, like... If it sounds interesting, you could do a lot worse. I mean, there are some real <laughs> garbage games, uh, both early 360 games and horror games available. So it it kind of does the um, it does the things that I wanted it to do. It fulfills the the niche that I wanted out of it, and yeah, it, it's kind of just a fun blast from the past for me now. Well, thank you for that, guys. Um... Well, thank you, John, Carl, Darren, Editor Jay, as well as all our correspondents we've had this week. Uh, And plus, of course, you guys for listening. Uh, Next time in issue 493, the team will be talking about Dead Rising.